Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 Podcast Kit, visit Shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by... The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. This is animator Ron Husband, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney. With your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in this multiverse of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can email me, Al John, at ALJON at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, X, formerly Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Uh, Al John, uh, this I, it just absolutely insane weekend <laughs> at uh, CTN. Yes. I have to tell you, uh, it's just been uh, an incredible weekend. Uh, I've got to see a lot of people. Yeah, uh, a lot. A lot of our past guests uh, who have been on the show uh, stopping by to say hi. Um, I wound up uh, moderating three different panels Ooh. this weekend. Busy, busy boy, Dave. You know, uh, uh, you know, this past weekend, Al John, uh, this past Saturday was Mickey Mouse's 95th birthday. Yes, yes. I, I, It's hard to believe it's been that long, but uh, I love all this Mickey Mouse content I'm seeing on my feed. Yeah. And and so we had we had a really good uh, crowd of people show up for uh, the Runaway Brain panel uh, that I moderated with director Chris Bailey mm-hmm. on Friday night. Yes. Um, that was a lot of fun. Yes. And, and then on Saturday I did, I had our, uh, you know, again, another skull rock guest, uh, Owen Clotty, uh, and his of wood short, which by the way, has won 26 film festival awards worldwide, <laughs> 26 film festival awards. We knew that uh, so, was going to happen. We knew Owen, you know, oh, yeah. you know, we, last year we, we talked about that film and how moving and touching it was talking with Owen. And then, uh, then all of a sudden, you know, he's entering it in these film festivals and, and making bank. And that's great. I mean, congratulations, Owen. Yeah, no, it, it was incredible. So we had, we had a, uh, a terrific turnout for that panel. And then Saturday night, you know, I did a panel. I moderated a panel with my friend, Mike Gabriel. He, he's a, a former guest of our show. Yeah. 
uh, and um, uh, we talked about his Lorenzo, the uh, Lorenzo short, uh, which was nominated for an Academy Award in in 2005, I think it was. Awesome. Uh, 2000. Yeah, we, we finished it in 2004. It was 2005. Uh, it was nominated. And um, and we had a big turnout for that uh, on Saturday. That was really terrific. And um, it was great celebrating Mike and that that short film Great. uh and and then and then all weekend long i was signing books <laughs> uh which, which is crazy and by the way a shout out to all the listeners who stopped by to say hi and and talk to talk to me about how much they like the skull rock podcast and you know and i i was having conversations with like you know what what segments do you like you know I, one person said Hey, you know, when I started listening to Skull Rock, I kind of skipped over a lot of the front stuff and just went to the interviews. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm like, that's cool. You know, listen however you want to listen, you know. And and then he said, but then I, I realized and I listened to a couple of full shows and he says, I really like the banter with you and Al John. Uh. <laughs> and, and, nice. and, and he really liked the segment. And I get this all the time, Al John, the segment about what we're watching, our picks of the week. Yeah. You, you know, because know, people yeah. are discovering shows that uh, that we've watched that they they hadn't hadn't heard of or it, was, it just wasn't on their radar. Well, that's great. I mean, for a while early on. Uh, maybe the first six months of the show, I said, maybe we ought to just split it up into like our, our entry banter and then the, the interview and have two different shows twice a week. And uh, we just, because of the feedback, well, we just kept on rolling, rolling with what we've got. So thank you yeah. for that feedback. And I think it's, it's fun. I love talking with yeah. you about all that stuff. <laughs> And also, by the way, uh, the listeners who who scooped up the free CTN tickets that we gave away, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, some of them stopped by Great. to say thanks very much, you know, for the free tickets. And I don't know how many use the, um, you know, the discount that um, sure. uh, Tina had given us for the CTN show. So yeah. anyway, it, it's just been it's just been a wild uh, wild weekend. And needless to say. I reconnected with a lot of people uh, at the CTN Expo, and they're going to be coming on the show in the coming months. Well, that's great, Dave. I mean, first of all, it's always great for you to attend these cons because I think people want to be able to interact with you, Dave, and and get the books and talk to you face-to-face, and they want to see you on those panels because you have so much tremendous insight uh, to what fans really want, you know? Um I, how was the attendance? Were there a lot of like new artists there showing portfolios? Because I know that's a big draw for CTN. Yeah, to- you know there were uh, there were a lot of you know students and uh, you know uh, just like newbies to the industry. Um, and uh, what was really nice was uh, one young lady who I had spoken to, uh, I think at the CTN right before the pandemic hit. Uh, she came by to say hi and thank me for all the inspiration that I gave her because uh, she uh, got a job in the industry and oh. she, she's working. She's working at a gaming company. Great. And uh, and it's always nice to get that kind of feedback. I have to tell you, it, it, it makes me feel good that you were able to, you know, help boost somebody's confidence and uh, and they're out there working in the industry. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, you know, the the other thing I would uh, say from observation was that uh, 
there seemed to be more people at this event than there was last year. And, and I don't know if that's a, a, a fair judge because last year was still sort of the tail end of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, yeah. and people were being cautious and whatnot, but it seemed to be more people at the, uh, at the conference this year. Uh, and, and I talked to Tina and she, she said she was overwhelmed. Uh, so she, she's, uh, she was real pleased. Well, good. I think shows like this and others promoting it and word of mouth, uh, I think it yeah. plays a big role in that. And of course, yes, now that the, you know, it, it, we're in a different place with the pandemic, I think a lot more people are out there, um, getting up and about, and it's great that these things happen. So, uh, congratulations to Tina and the rest of the team at the CTN, Dave. Uh, I know that you had a great weekend and, uh, we definitely suggest you check out those, uh, conventions from the CTN expo. So. Definitely yeah, check that out. you know, it, it, it's really um, uh, I, I think that the pivot that Tina took with this event and gearing it towards, you know, education and celebration of animation and all of that, uh, I think it's going to really pay off for her because it's a it's a more intimate affair. Uh, and uh, a lot of the students and newbies coming into the industry are able to mingle with uh, veterans, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and get their take on what's going on. So I think it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, I it, it's just boy, I'll tell you, Al John, you know, putting out two books uh, in the fall. Uh, <laughs> I, it's just, I mean, it's it's just going to be craziness right up until Christmas. Oh, know? I bet. And beyond, you know, I mean, these books are great. So. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, check out Dave's Facebook for all these pictures. It's great. And uh, I tell you, we have an awesome show lined up before we launch into what we're talking about and what we've seen this week. Let's talk about Razul Part 2. My gosh, the guy is back with more great stories. You know, I I absolutely love Russell Azadani. Yes. Uh, you know, he he's he's a friend. I I've been friends with him for like you know close to forty. It's it's over forty years. Amazing. You know, yeah, because you know I I met him at Cal Arts. So so incredible. Uh, he was he he came in a year behind me. I was a sophomore. He came in as a freshman. Amazing. And uh, we've been friends ever since. Uh, super talented. Uh, I can't wait to get to this episode, the this part two, because uh, we're talking to him not only. Uh, uh, about his animation career but we're going to spend a little time talking about his incredible watercolors just oh. phenomenal watercolors you know he sent me a note and it's it's always very touching when a guest will write you back and say i really enjoyed having you you know being part of the show and he's just a great soul so Razul, uh thank you so much and looking forward to this next part of our interview but uh yeah definitely seek him out on facebook he, he posts a lot of great art there and uh, hopefully, uh, maybe if you're interested, you can get your hands on some of his work that's out there. It's just amazing stuff. Um, it really is. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's move on here to what we've been talking about this week. Oh, before we do that, Dave, uh, you get some listener feedback, do you not? Well, you know, it, it was really just, you know, what we what I was talking about a little earlier here uh, about being at the CTN oh, okay. and having people yeah. come up and talk to me and just, you know, really uh, enjoying the podcast. And also the fact, Al John, that we just take our time with guests. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, some people are trying to cram things into a time slot. You know, mm -hmm. you got 20 minutes or 30 minutes. You know, we're not interested in doing that. What mm -hmm. we want to do is is have guests on and let them talk 
And if it takes two or three, or in the case of Dave Spafford, five episodes. <laughs> was it five you know? episodes? My goodness. Yeah, it was five episodes. <laughs> but but we're gonna do that, you oh, know, yeah. because because there's just a tremendous amount of uh oral history that, that oh. we're we're collecting here. You I know? think that's the greatest part about it is is that we are collecting the oral history, the stories of these these great artists behind the scenes of some of your favorite films. That's what we talk about at the beginning of the show. And these things won't necessarily be mentioned in any books or anything like that. So it's really cool not to just hear the stories, but hear their own words coming out of their mouth because hearing their voices and their inflections and, and how they react to these stories is amazing. So I appreciate that. Hey, uh, Dave, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse yeah. turned 95 over the weekend. I know it's, um, it's absolutely amazing. They both look fantastic for their age. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I feel like they just keep on getting younger, but uh, there's been a lot of uh, Disney did a great job posting stuff on social. I tell you their social team is amazing with, with what they post and how they post. Um, and I've, I have to tell you this runaway brain um, article that you sent me on cracked was uh, really cool because it's something that I had forgotten about because it's kind of like the, the lost Disney short uh, for for Mickey Mouse. I mean, I can't find it on Disney Plus. Uh, it's a very hard. Well, thing. yeah, I, I'm going to tell you because Chris talked about that uh, during the panel, uh, and somebody asked about that. Uh, why isn't it on Disney Plus? Well, it actually was on Disney Plus, and then it got taken off of Disney Plus. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is one of these edgier Mickey Mouse shorts that kind of uh, oscillates between we're going to keep it in the vault or we'll show it. We'll keep it in the vault. We're going to show it, you know, and uh, and I think it's kind of sad uh, because it's actually an incredible short. Yeah. Um, I've watched it several times, not only at the uh, the panel discussion I had with Chris, but also uh, prior to that, just to, you know, get, uh, get, you know, get prepared for that panel. And and, and what's so wonderful about it is when you look at the animation of Mickey and Minnie and Pluto uh, and Julius, the the villain, and uh, even, you know, Dr. Frank and Ollie, who's voiced by Kelsey Grammer. Right. Um, the animation is absolutely superb. It, it is a throwback to the golden age shorts of Disney. Yeah. It, and, and sort of the Fred Moore uh, style of Mickey, uh, which is just as beautifully dimensional characters, you yes. know, and, uh, and the art direction by Ian Gooding is, is just exquisite. It's just a beautiful looking short. Yes. And, um, you know, the, we, we talked a little bit about the backstory on this and, uh, <clears throat> and some of the things that happened during production, but, you know, I'm going to have Chris on. I'm, I, I talked to Chris about having him come on the podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the 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 background of that short. So I'm not going to go into too much of it right now, Al right, John. Right. But um, I will say that that person that asked about Disney Plus, well, I think there's a function on Disney Plus for uh, for viewers to give feedback to say, hey, can you put such and such on? Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And uh, and what I would say to everybody, if you want to see Runaway Brain, you know, use that function on uh, on Disney Plus to send feedback. Tell them you want to see Runaway Brain. Yeah. And hopefully they'll bring it back onto the platform. And, and you know, look, 
to 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 Disney Plus, uh, you know, they they're going to rotate through stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're at a place where they can just have the whole library uh, up and and on demand, you know. You so, should uh, go out there and bookmark it next time it's on there, or search for it, yeah. and then it, you know, uh, there may be uh, an opportunity for you to search for it and it doesn't have a tile, but you search for it and it shows up. So just try that. That's all. I'm yeah, saying. yeah. Um, but I love the art. I love the art style, though. It's it's really cool, and I think that was really um, during that era, the you know kind of a resurgence in in the way Mickey was being portrayed by Disney, and and I think um, there's so much really cool stuff they 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 did, and I think it really lent itself to that epic Mickey kind of style that we saw later on down the road from that video game. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think when Mickey first appeared, in, in, you know, 95 years ago, uh, you know, he was like this edgier teenage type character, you know, yeah. uh, um, you know, he wasn't a bad boy, but, you know, there was an edge to him. And uh, uh, and then he slowly turned into a corporate icon that was squeaky clean. Yeah. Uh, and I think the idea with this short uh, runaway brain was to try and get him back to that edgy your uh personality uh and uh, i think it worked very well i think it holds up by the way there's a funny little easter egg uh at the beginning of the cartoon uh when mickey's playing the video game in yeah. his living room yeah uh in the background there's a starship enterprise on the credenza is that right yeah it's painted it's it's the starship enterprise and it's uh uh, it, it was uh, put in there just uh, because uh, Chris said, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Well, and, you know, Kelsey Grammer at the time was also in Star Trek. There you go. You so, know, I you mean, know. He, he played yeah. he played the captain. Uh, he played a captain on Star Trek. So, well, that is awesome. I'll have to be yeah. on the lookout for that. But, you know, if Seek Out Runaway Brain, it's a tremendous short and probably one, once again, uh, that's kind of lost in the in the vault vault, but hopefully it'll come back. I just had to mention that, and I appreciate you sending me that, Dave. Um, okay, so what have we been watching this week, Dave? Well, I'm going to tell you, Al John. You've been busy I went, saw the, <laughs> I went and saw the Marvels last weekend in IMAX. Okay. Oi. <laughs> I am going to disagree with you. I know you liked it, but I did not like it. Okay. The only redeeming quality of this movie was the cats. Yeah, okay. That, that was a good one. Uh, I, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to tell you the cast was great. Yes. You know, um, each one of the actresses uh, of the Marvels, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, you know, all of those individuals, they were terrific. They did a good job. Yeah. The script was horrible. The script was horrible. The story was yeah. terrible. Yep. There were holes all over the place. Yes. And the other thing that I didn't like was you really had to have seen stuff prior to the Marvels yeah. to connect the dots. Yeah. And I, I don't like that. I think that these movies should be standalone so that somebody who's not steeped in the Marvel universe can go into a theater and enjoy this as a standalone movie. Right. Yeah. And, fair, and, fair and, criticism. And, yes. Yeah, and, and I, I got to tell you, I, I just dropped my hand, my my head into my hands when uh, at that moment they started playing a song from Cats. 
up on the space station. I I just was like, this movie went off the rails and, (laughs) and and you know what? The public is responding that way. Right. It had, it had a terrible opening. It was the worst opening in, in, of a Marvel uh, film. Yes. Uh, Worse than um, uh, Ant-Man versus Wasp. Quantumania. Yeah. Quantumania. And also uh, this weekend, this past weekend, which was the second weekend, the worst drop off, nearly eighty percent drop off yep. from the opening weekend, yes, right? Yes, which is the worst in in the Marvel uh, universe. So I don't know. I think they have to go and reevaluate what they're doing oh. because this movie is almost a nail in the coffin of the um, uh, superhero fatigue syndrome. You well, know, if well. I, I, let me, let me just chime in in here and say, yes. Um, did I like it? Yes. But just because I liked it didn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean I said it was, you know, like the best or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, for me, I totally understand your criticisms and, and share it with you. Um, a lot of people these days feel like watching Marvel films is like doing homework because you have to have invested and seen more of that. And I believe what you're saying, it needs to be very accessible to the general movie audience which means that they don't have to have the homework and you could have done it in a way and show things where it's more linear. People will understand and get invested to these characters better. Instead, you know, uh, it was very shoddy and the script it was just horrible. So uh, I, I agree with you, but I did like cats. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I, I did like the cats, the cat character. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I did like and, and in fact, the first time you see the cat do what the cat does. Oh yeah. It is a laugh out loud moment. Oh, it was fantastic. Absolutely. You know? Yes. But, yeah. Anyway, but it's so, fair. It's fair, Dave. And, and you're right. And yeah. you know what? Marvel is uh, from what I've heard, um, going and really doing a big deep dive and reevaluating how they're going into this. I think part of this whole multiverse storytelling that they're doing to try to get and capture all of the Marvel stuff and, and bring it in into one big, you know, uh, universe is daunting because I didn't, I don't think your general public understands that this universe doesn't have X-Men or this universe doesn't have these Fox characters or this, that, and the other. I don't think they care really. Um, no, they just want to see and, all of them come together in some way, and you just need to find a really big way instead of stretching it out over the course of five films and say, well, this is the universe is falling apart in this one, and the universe is falling apart. It's like, just say the universe, you know, because of the spell in, in, in Spider-Man, now the, the world is opening up, and we can't stop it, and then here's your next Avengers film. That's what they should have just done, you know? You know, and I agree. And and the thing I would say is maybe they have to step back and say, maybe it's no longer the Marvel universe, Mm -hmm. but a a group of or a series of Marvel galaxies. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Like, but like, like step it down. And, and, you know, maybe not try to encapsulate everything into one universe, but have different galaxies. It's going to fall, you know, it's going to fall on. on, It's going to crush, get crushed under its own weight. I mean, the great thing about DC and there's little I can say about that. But, you know, the 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 Batman film is a standalone film. The Joker film is a standalone film. You don't have to invest yourself so much. Um, to just enjoy a good story. And at the end of the day, I tell people this all the time. 
was Loki good? Yes. Was this and that, you know, WandaVision good? Yes. You know, was Secret Invasion good? Hell no. No, you know, but right. but discard all that yeah. other crap. You know, just yeah. like what you like, and it's okay to have standalone stories in the Marvel universe. So let's hope. Well, I'm sure they're going to make some uh, waves and some changes, especially with yeah, a lot I, of criticism. I, I'm sure the Marvels is going to be a wake up call if if it hasn't already been for them. But yeah. uh, I did try to go into this with an open mind, and I really did try to like it because I like a lot of the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one just completely missed it for me. Now, mm-hmm. something I missed in the theaters when it was first released was a Jennifer Lawrence movie called No Hard Feelings. Yes. And uh, it's now on Netflix. Uh, Nancy and I watched this. It was absolutely superb. It was hilarious. (laughs) It was well done. It had a heart to it. It has a great cast. Uh, There was just some funny, funny stuff in this. Uh, And you can kind of call this maybe like a comedy rom-com kind of thing. It's fantastic. Jennifer Lawrence is great. She is just absolutely great. She she just is spot on in her timing. It, it's it's really terrific. Awesome. I highly recommend this if you want to smile and have a couple of laughs. This is a very funny movie. No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence on Netflix. Now, I watched something that's brand new. It dropped on Hulu. It's called The Murder at the End of the World. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, this is a great series awesome. so far. And awesome. I've only watched two episodes. Hey, can can you put a tack on it for a second? When you when you you build up your reviews so well that I'm at the edge of my seat. I can only imagine what our listeners say because yes, you talk about no hard feelings and murder at the end of the world. And I'm sitting at the edge of my seat going, what is Dave going to say? Is he going to like it or is he going to exit? (laughs) (laughs) I love it, Dave. Great. Well, let me, let me just tell you a little bit about this. A murder at the end of the world is a mystery series with a new kind of detective at the helm, a Gen Z amateur sleuth and tech savvy hacker named Darby Hart. In the new limited series, Darby and eight other guests are invited to a reclusive billionaire uh, but excuse me, invited by a reclusive billionaire to participate in a retreat at a remote and dazzling location. When one of the other guests is found dead, Darby must put to use all of her combined skills to prove it was, in fact, a murder all against the tide of competing interests and before the killer takes another life. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is just I I, I, I I can't say enough good things about this because um the the lead um, uh the lead actress uh in this is a is an actress Emma Corrin. I don't know if you've heard of her. No. She she she's absolutely great. The big name in this is Clive Owen, but he's not in it that much. He mm. plays the tech, you know, the tech billionaire. Yes. Uh, and and he's the one that invites this really sort of diverse group of people to this hotel he built in a very remote area of Iceland, hmm. you know. So uh, it, it, it's all I can say is anybody who turns this on is going to get sucked in. This is a very enjoyable series so far. And I, I'm going to tell you, 
Uh, watch those first two episodes. You're going to love it. I'm adding uh, it to my list, Dave. Okay. Now, I tried Beacon 23 on MGM+. Plus. Okay. And I'm not, compl- I'm not completely sold on it yet. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is well acted. Um, it is, uh, you know, a sci-fi, um, you know, a sci-fi show. It, it has Lena Headley or Hetty, Lena Hetty in it. Right. Uh, Stephen James, uh, Daniel Malik. Uh, and it, it essentially is Beacon 23 is an American science fiction, psychological thriller series created by Zach Penn based on the short story series of the same name by Hugh Howey. Uh, and, uh, it, it's, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, it takes place on essentially a space station beacon out in the middle of the universe someplace, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, uh, two people whose fates become entangled if they find themselves trapped together at the end of the known universe, Aster mysteriously finds her way to a lonely beacon keeper on his lighthouse in the darkest recesses of space. A tense battle of wills unfolds as uh, Hallen begins to question whether Aster uh, is friend or foe and her ability to disguise her agenda and motives could make her a formidable opponent. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to watch it as episodes drop uh, and, and see if it improves, you know, sometimes with these series, like, like you have to get through the first episode or two. Mm-hmm. It, it it reminded me a little bit of Silo, but yep. in a different way. Um, and Silo was fantastic. So I'm going to give this a, a couple more episodes to see if I like it. Okay. Now, switching gears, I did watch <laughs> a bunch of episodes of a show called Bad Education. Okay bad education and uh it <laughs> it is one of the uh funniest uh shows uh it's a british sitcom it's written by jack whitehall it was created by jack whitehall okay. uh, it's an ensemble cast uh seasons one through three of the british comedy ba- uh Bad Education uh, stars comedian Jack Whitehall as Alfie Vickers, a teacher who is a bigger kid than his students at the Abbey Grove School. Um, uh, Primarily interested in securing a date with a biology teacher, Miss Gulliver, Alfie turns to his class of misfits for help, although his plan often his plans often go awry. Uh, It it is wrong on so many levels <laughs> uh the comedy mm-hmm. it, it just goes it, it just pushes the envelope and i found myself just laughing out loud like a 12 year old okay um i it, saw the trailer fanta- i saw the trailer for it yeah and it, it's it's fantastic it reminds me of bad teacher with cameron diaz just flipped yeah. for for a male and yeah, uh, it's it, he he's just terrific. It, it's worth seeing now for a quality show for quality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of look at bad education as one of these. You know, it's it, it, it's just you know crude, off the charts yeah. humor, yeah. And, and I love it. I'm laughing. I'm having a good time watching it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but for a really quality show, <laughs> Lawman 
Bass Reeves. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this one. No, I haven't actually. Um, so uh, this is a new show uh, on uh, Paramount, um, Paramount Plus, and it it stars. And I always get his last name wrong. David Alo Ilowo. Is that right? Uh, David I David Ilowo. I think you're right. Ilowo. Yeah. Ilowo. Yes. yes. Uh you know, he he's an English actor who I have uh, really admired for a number of years. He's been in British, you know, uh detective and spy thriller shows. Um uh he is a fantastic actor. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid is also in this show. Uh, uh, Lauren Banks plays uh, um, uh, David Ilowo, uh, who is Bass Reeves, plays uh, Lauren Banks, plays his wife. Uh, Dennis Quaid is a fellow lawman. Donald Sutherland plays a judge. Um, it's it's a fantastic cast. It's executive produced, by the way, uh, by Taylor Sheridan. Okay. And and David Ilowo. Wow. Uh, um, and it's the untold story of the first black U.S. marshal. Awesome. And talk about top quality, high quality show. Yeah. Uh, we're eating up every episode that drops on this. It, it, it's a wonderful show. If you loved Yellowstone, you're gonna love this. Awesome. Um, so that's what I've been watching. There's a lot of stuff actually considering my schedule lately. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. You're knocking it out of the park. I, I like the lawman. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, uh, for me, it's a little bit more of a lighter schedule. Um, I did check out another horror film this week. It's five nights at Freddy's. And, uh, this is basically the story about a guy that, uh, is a single, I guess is taking care of his, um, of his sister. He's an older guy. Um, and it just gets a job at a security as a security guard for this kind of showbiz pizza place or Chuck E. Cheese's. And it's got this animatronic, these animatronic figures that apparently um, are possessed. It's uh, just an outrageous kind of uh, horror comedy. And um, it's funny. And it's it's mediocre at the same time. <laughs> so so there you go. Um, you know what would it you did well, It did well at the box office. It, it, I mean, it, it outperformed what the expectations were. Oh sure. I mean, you know, uh, to see Matthew Lillard in it is great because he's great in everything he does. Mary Stuart Masterson is in there too, just kind of the conniving, you know, uh, you know, mom. But uh-huh. uh, it's just a really, really funny uh, horror comedy. That's all I can say. It's just, um, you know, these crazy animatronics, Dave. So you go into a pizzeria to celebrate your birthday and you don't ever come back. That's kind of what happens. So uh, <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's, you can stream on Peacock. And once again, don't let the kids see it. Uh, definitely not kid, <laughs> definitely not kid worthy. Um, and, and, yeah. but I, before you go on to the next pick, okay. I just want you to know that uh, there, it was in the news this past week that uh, Chuck E. Cheese, the the kids pizza place yes is is uh getting rid of their uh audio animatronic uh yeah. show 
Yep. Uh, which, by the way, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's is, is, is sort of takes place in a Chuck exactly. E. Cheese kind of joint. Exactly. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I've been to Chuck E. Cheese with the kids and, uh, you know, it's it's a different place these days. You know, <laughs> I, when I was a kid growing up, I went to like Showbiz Pizza and would see the animatronics and the Rock of Fire explosion. That was my first real rock concert when I was like eight years old or whatever. <laughs> you know, I say that jokingly. Um but that's I kind just of, wonder if Five Nights at Freddy put a nail in the coffin of all those audio animatronics. Probably, at those pizza places. probably. <laughs> and when you see them without the skins on, you're like, oh, my gosh, they really are ter- terrible. Uh, ter- Parents ter- dragging their kids in screaming. No, yeah, no, exactly. I'm going to get eaten by this uh, rodent, you know, that isn't Mickey Mouse. So, uh, well, anyway, so here we are. And Invincible, of course, once again, doing great work. If you really love comic books uh please check it out once again it's an adult animated series about a teenager whose father is the most powerful superhero on the planet and of course in this season it's basically if superman uh had his entire his entire planet basically conquer the galaxy and he was sent there to earth to kind of you know, soften it up for them to be taken over and he has a son with michelle michelle yo is the um is the mother and of course their relationship is strained because he's bringing a a whole organization to take over the earth and and the son gets kind of brainwashed into his father's thinking like you know uh, so it's just a really deep um a deep series but the animation is great please check it out um flowers to uh steven yoon of course from the walking dead who plays the son mark grayson and jk simmons who plays nolan who is the the superman uh, evil superman character and sandra oh great voice acting once again great story if you want the superman tale kind of put on its head check that out and dave um because we were talking last week so much about the beatles i didn't put this on the list but i did go down the rabbit hole and ended up watching that behind the scenes documentary of the beatles um and the making of that 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 song now and then and it's amazing oh Oh, I didn't realize there's a documentary. Oh, there's a documentary, Dave, oh, on the where, Beatles where, channel. Where do, we, where do we find it? Oh, that? you need to find it on the Disney, uh, I'm sorry, the YouTube channel. It's amazing. And, okay, great. Um, I can tell you that go over there and check it out. I went down the rabbit hole and Kristen saw it with me. It's a really good kind of a 13-minute long video. It's on the Beatles channel. Uh, it was just released a few weeks ago. It's 6.6 million views. It's called The Beatles Now and Then, The Last beatles song short and it's a documentary about how they put everything together they have the voices of sean lennon um of course ringo paul uh you know talking about the the making of that film and how you said you know uh everybody got together and how it was basically traveling through time you know when they retrieved uh, i guess uh, paul and yoko had had touched base in the 90s about hey i've got this demo and these demo cassettes and they put the the band back together to do it you know obviously you know lennon is no longer there and harrison is still there and and they couldn't get the technology there until peter jackson did that yeah. documentary get back and was able to extract that voice from the piano from that cassette recording yeah and it's yeah. just absolutely amazing um, going down that rabbit hole and seeing the fans react to the music video and the music video to this song, if you haven't seen it, is amazing because they take archival footage and literally put all of the Beatles together in different eras. Dave, have you seen the music video? 
No, I it's haven't amazing. seen it. I got, I got, I've listened to the song oh. now and then multiple times, yeah. but I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of this. Yeah, Thanks see, for telling me this. You tell me, you told me about this and I, I keep on listening to the song and it's like, it's great. But then I like, there's a music video and I thought it was fake. Like some fan put it together. No, it's actually the Beatles put it together. So they take archival footage of the Beatles in this music video and there's, images from sergeant peppers and from a hard day's night and they put them all together plus the behind the scenes in the 90s recording that the music the music bed for it with george while he was still alive and then the new footage of ringo and paul and then they put them all together and mashed them up so there's like different eras of the beatles kind of intermingling with older versions of the beatles wow it's it's amazing and my wife I is sitting there. I, I can't wait to see this. And you said the documentary is only 13 minutes long? It's only long? 13 minutes long. It's on YouTube. Oh, uh, check it out. Awesome. The music right. video is there as well. So check out now and then the official music video, 30 million views on YouTube. Wow. Check out okay. the behind the scenes of it. And it's um, and then I, I went down that rabbit hole of, of looking at other people reacting to this as well. And it's amazing to me still to this day how – you know, our generation, and I and I say your generation, my generation, respond to the Beatles because I grew hey, up. Wait a second, aren't we of the same generation? We're, we're the same generation, guys. <laughs> but um, you know, I I feel like uh, you know, I still have a connection to the Beatles because I you know grew up with it. And my parents was it was a Beatles household, so I totally yeah. got enamored with the Beatles at an early age to play music from the Beatles. Um, to this day, and then to see another generation respond to it as well uh it just warms my heart because once again it's reaching through time and space from those early demos all the way to now where they finish a completed song and some people would say maybe they shouldn't have done this maybe they should have just let it lie and not do it but you know um i, I totally disagree with okay, anybody says that and the reason why i disagree with it because you have original band members involved yes. and you have as, you know, the uh, the estate, you know, Yoko and, um, you know, uh, Danny Harrison and, you know, Olivia Harrison, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they're they're all involved uh, when they do something like this. Yeah. You know? let, let Everybody everybody's buying into it, you yes. know. And yes. and so to me, it, this would be wrong if all of those people were gone and somebody, you know, who who wasn't there at the time was doing this. Right. right. Well, plus Harrison yeah. was bought into it when he was alive. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and you saw him record it. And and for me to see the look of of disappointment on their faces when they just kind of abandoned the project and let it sit for another 22 years. Yeah. You know, I just I, I felt that when I was watching the documentary, because I, I know what it's like to work on a song that's a labor of love. And to just simply see it like it just didn't turn out well or it just didn't do whatever. And you just put it on a shelf. You know, yeah. we talk about that with film and Disney, that they came up with these concepts of films after films like back sure. in the 40s. And they put it on the shelf and it didn't come out until, you know, 30 years later. And or 40 is, years later. Or 40 whatever. years later. Yeah. And, and I feel the yeah. same way about the Beatles. So, Dave, I know our listeners would love it. And I know you would, too. So yeah. go out right. there and I'm check gonna, it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I, I, I checked out, I didn't put that in my notes either. Surprise. Um, I saw Yesterworld Entertainment on YouTube puts out tremendous documentaries. And they just recently completed one about the complicated history of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now, huh. um, it's good. And it uses a lot of the stuff from, you know, the, you know, um, uh, 
that book that you quote so much because you were, you know, you were uh, involved uh, in production. Pulling a rabbit, pulling a rabbit out of the hat. Pulling uh, a rabbit by, out of the hat. It's yeah, basically our, a digest. By our friend Ross Anderson. Exactly. So yeah. he, he takes a lot from that book, but there's a lot of footage that's in there that I've never seen before. Uh, a lot of pre-production elements and stuff back from uh, the er- early 80s when Disney had approached Zemeckis and Spielberg separately before bringing them both together later on down the road when uh, Spielberg had Amblin Entertainment to to produce it. But it's just amazing to me to see um, the original story and how it morphed into the concepts for it. And then of course they had, uh, he put in a little deep dive of the special effects and the rotoscoping that we've talked about, but I've never actually seen it that ILM put in there. So, I mean, big kudos to Yesterworld entertainment because that's like a uh, hour and 45 minutes worth of stuff. I just had to watch because we talk about it so much on the show and with your uh, involvement, Dave, I think there's pictures of you in this documentary that I wanted to screenshot and send you, but I knew we'd be talking about it today, but I think I saw a picture of you at the London studio with the rest of the staff. And I, I just sit there and laugh because I, your, your face stood out to me immediately. Like, Oh, that's Dave <laughs> because it's a great be- photo. Because I still look the same you after the 35 years we're the same generation dave we look the same we look the same and and so anyway i I just wanted you to know and wanted our listeners to know seek it out check it out because this behind the scenes with some of this the the art and the concept art that they use to pitch the film is something i've never seen before so uh go out there and seek it out it's amazing okay cool all righty then well uh let's go into Skull Rock Podcast, ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. From Mickey's 100th anniversary and runaway brain to the hostile takeover. Uh, Dave, I mean, once again, Nelson Peltz looks like he's trying to bring about change to the Disney company because of some lackluster performance in this quarter. Uh, What say you, Dave, about this um, quote unquote hostile takeover, which is kind of blown yeah, out. you know some I, I i'd say this is kind of overblown right now um i think you know you've got nelson peltz is building a stake in the company again he's got he's got ike perlmutter uh former chairman of marvel as an ally uh and then there's a there's another uh investment fund that's building a stake as well uh but they're on the friendly side to what bob Iker's doing yeah. Uh, and I, I will tell you that the earnings that came out uh, last week or the week before are uh, were not bad. Yeah. I, I think I think whatever Bob is doing to turn the ship, he he it, it's it's showing, uh, you know, and the parks are firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Uh, you know, parks and resorts. Uh, certainly he's got to tackle some issues with the film studio. Uh, you know, we talked about Marvel already and, uh, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, mediocre to bad reviews coming out on wish that's opening on Thanksgiving. So, it, you know, he, he still has his work cut out for him, but he's making the right moves buying, you know, buying the, the third of Hulu from universal that they didn't own mm-hmm. uh, so that they completely own Hulu. I think it was a fantastic move. You know, who knows what he's going to do with linear television. Personally, 
I'll tell you what I think they should do with ESPN because now they're getting into gambling. I think they should spin off ESPN as a standalone company that, uh, you know, Disney maintains a majority ownership of Mm -hmm. uh, and allow ESPN to go full tilt into sports betting and maybe even open an ESPN casino in Las Vegas or something, you know? I think they ought to do that and then just do licensing rights. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just your so anyway, listen, I have full faith in Bob Iger. I think he's one of the best CEOs uh, of uh, of the hundred years of the Walt Disney Company, you know, um, uh, since Walt, you know, since Walt uh, died. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, you got to give him a little bit more time. You're starting to see uh, the results of him being back in the CEO suite. Uh, and, uh, you see that with the better, better than expected, uh, uh, earnings report that we just had. So I, am not worried about it and I don't think anyone else should be. Um, so let's just leave it at that. Yeah. A lot of layers to unpeel in this onion for Disney. All I got to say is, come on, Bob, I'm a shareholder, man. Make my money, make my money, Bob. (laughs) Uh, Box office returns. Hunger Games gobbles up 19.1 million opening day. Trolls 3 rolls to second as the Marvel Fatal uh, has that brutal drop, as he said, 80% drop off. It's crazy. Well, it's the holiday season. And we knew, I knew that uh, putting out Hunger Games would be a tremendous business for them, but not as big as as I had initially thought. Nineteen point one million uh, for opening day—that's um, not too. Not no, too good I think either. they were looking. They they were looking for it to be like a fifty million dollar weekend. I don't think it's going to quite hit that. Uh, I think it's going to come in slightly under it. But yeah. you know, uh, I I really don't have any interest in seeing the film. Nope. Uh, I, and also, it's like two hour. I, I don't know. It's it, it, it's it's a long movie. You know, it's has, like two and a half hours or something. Has Hollywood lost touch, Dave? I mean, you, I feel like a lot of these projects were put into motion during the pandemic. They're filmed now. They're they're being put out there, and are we just seeing content for content's sake, or they needed to roll out another Hunger Games in order to make use of this IP? I mean, what's the story here? You know, honestly, I'll tell you right now what I think the story is with some of the with all of these studios is that they're all part of Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. you know, and they're beholden to shareholders and boards of directors. And, you know, they're everybody's trying to pe- play it safe. So most of these movies are suffering, I think, from uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. A lot of stu- you know? artists not yeah, being able to fulfill the, their, their their vision, their, goal, their vision. It, yeah. Unlike Spider-Verse, you know, you know, we talk about hero fatigue and I think two great uh, examples of, of not uh, is the Guardians of the Galaxy and, and the Spider-Verse movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, people- and by the way, I just got a DVD of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse as yeah. part of Academy consideration. And even, isn't it great? even though even though they're going to put it on the Academy streaming channel that Academy members can tap into and watch all these films, mm-hmm. they still sent me a DVD of it. I of couldn't course. believe it. 
you yeah, know? Well, and yeah. by the way, I love that film. It's great. Across the, yeah, it's a great film, you it's know? Great. And I, I have no doubt that it's going to get nominated for an Academy Award again this year. If you think so, it's too much. And, yeah. Well, and once again, you don't have to do homework to enjoy that movie. I mean, we could go yeah. on and on about that. Oh, yeah, but I, I saw that in the theater anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going I'm to watch it again. It's <laughs> yeah. such a good movie. Absolutely. All right, let, let, let's not, uh, you know, drag that one hey, out. Uh, so Disney Studios putting out another Diary of a Wimpy Kid Christmas, Cabin Fever, uh, I'm a big fan of this series. I really enjoy the animation in it and the kids do as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing this one too. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I sent you this because uh, I thought it was a terrific trailer. Yep. Uh, looks fun uh, and looks like a fun holiday movie. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, especially for, for people or, you know, any of our listeners who have young children, I think you can enjoy this with, with your family. An awesome family movie. Check right. out diary of a wimpy kid. Christmas Cabin Fever streaming on Disney Plus December 8th. Another Disney Plus uh, hit seemingly because I really dug this trailer, Dave, is uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians teasing the Demigods quest. It premieres a new series uh, December 20th, Dave. I like this revival of Percy Jackson. Yeah. You know, I haven't read any of the books that these are based on. Uh, but uh, when I watched this trailer, I thought that looks pretty good. I, I think I may, you know, again, this is another example of you put out a good trailer and people watch it. They're going to say, wow, I, that looks good. I, I understand what this is about. I think I want to watch this, you know? Yeah. So the clips has a, a teaser focus on Percy, who is played by Walker Scoble, realizing that he's a demigod child of a Greek god and human, and expands on it, showing the characters in a previously unseen setting facing off against new threats, and his friends, Annabeth and Grover, race to return Zeus's master lightning bolt to Olympus. So, uh, once again, a great book series, also great movies, and now being rebooted for Disney+, Plus, airing December 20th. Check that out. Yeah, uh, Dave, uh, another <laughs> uh, awesome kind of juvenile humor project is one of my favorites. Which I love. I love I it, love. too. We love juvenile <laughs> humor here on the show, if you haven't noticed. Seth MacFarlane's Ted prequel series trailer premiere date. The Peacock Project is going to be taking place, um, I guess it's a, a period piece. I guess, can we call it 1993 for a period piece uh, for Ted <laughs> on the TV show uh, streaming on Peacock? Uh, Dave, I am a big fan of Seth MacFarlane. I'm a big yeah. f a fan of the Ted films and, uh, this prequel looks freaking hilarious. Yes. I, I watched this trailer. I laughed. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, the one thing that I'm being cautious about here is that the original first Ted movie was fantastic. Yep. It, it, I mean, it was laugh out loud. Great. Ted two. Not so much. Right. Ted 2 was not that good of a movie. Right. So I am hoping that they got their mojo back on this uh, prequel TV series. And I hope that they've been allowed to really, you know, do the crude sophomoric humor that the first Ted had. I hope so, too. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that we learned about Seth MacFarlane is that he knows how to do TV series. And so I'm hoping that uh, this series will be once again, just uh, make it happen um, in dear future Ted out there. I was going to play the, the trailer. I'm not, uh, <laughs> but once again, uh, the new Ted series uh, will be streaming January 11th on Peacock. 
And uh, once again, Seth MacFarlane's behind it and doing the, the stuff. So I'm hoping that, uh, and there, by the way, NBC Universal is paying him a huge chunk for his content to do this. So big ups to you, Seth MacFarlane. You're my hero. Uh, continue to do it. I hope this series is good. I'm going to be watching it, and I hope you will too, and I hope it's good. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, uh, it's it's a different brand of humor. I, I'm certainly going to watch it because I think it's uh, as funny as can be. There you go. Uh, all right, there we have there it. There we have uh, it. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's it uh, for this week. Let's move on down with our friend Razul. Uh, check out part two, Razul Azadani, talking about his art and layout and watercolor on this section. The interview time right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, we're back again with uh, my old friend Rasul Azadani, uh, a master layout, yeah, <laughs> master layout artist and master watercolorist. Um, Rasul, it's great having you back for a second week here uh, on so the Skull much. Rock Podcast. Um, I want to start out with, you know, la- at the end of last week's show, we were talking about uh, Aladdin. Uh, and the style of Aladdin. And and when you finish Aladdin, you go on to Pocahontas. And Pocahontas, that style was uh, sort of, they, they used J.C. J. Leyendecker, who yeah, was yeah. an illustrator from the 1920s, 1930s. Yeah, yeah. I think mainly they used uh, for the character design, John Pomeroy and Lincoln. Yeah. I was looking into his work. But more it, angular, right? Yeah, but you know, we had also fantastic art director there, Mike Giamo. Yes. Which we work very closely with Michael Gabriel and Handel Butoy, they were director. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, while I was looking at the line, the JC line, they can work and especially look at his uh, organic stuff like flowers or water effects or things. I saw a lot of similarity with one of the artists from Japan, uh, Hiroshigi, uh, you know? Okay. And I definitely thought his must be definitely influenced by him. Yeah. So for layout, because we had a lot of organic stuff to do, like, you know, forest, you know, river things. Uh, I really use Hiroshigi, and we get, did a package, and of course, Mike Giamo's style was perfectly fit with that movie. Yeah, and we came with the style of the layout. And, and, and you you mentioned Hendel Butoy, but Hendel Butoy was uh, uh, rescuers down under. Hendel and and Mike, it was uh, it was Eric Goldberg and oh my god, uh, oh my god, and, I got confused. That's all right. It's it, my it, age. It, 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 yeah, yeah. It, it, it was Eric, Eric, Eric Goldberg and Mike Gabriel on Pocahontas. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Because you know, Eric Eric Goldberg is such an amazing animator, and you know, yeah, that. You know, of course, I should remember. This is my bad. Yeah, no, no worries. But uh, <laughs> I'm you know, glad so you corrected me. And, and I think just for our listeners' sake, um, you know, when we talk about like Al Hirschfeld or J.C. Leyendecker, um, we're really talking about uh, other artists that have strong styles that were they're inspiring us. Exactly. You know, we're yeah. we're using them for inspiration to create yeah. a new style 
that's inspired by these other artists, you know, yeah. and, and those artists were inspired by other artists that they were, you know, because uh, I, yeah, I saw know? a lot of, you know, uh, envis- uh, like uh, influence of uh, Western artists on Japanese and Chinese artists. And as I said, if you look at Hiroshigi flower, especially the flower design, yeah. is exactly like uh, you know J.C. Lyndecker's flower designs. And, and and so he was inspired, or for me, yeah, for me, yeah, I, he was probably inspired by Hiroshigi, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. I was using the most. And, and um, what do you remember most about being on Pocahontas? Because you went from being a layout supervisor on Aladdin to layout supervisor on Pocahontas. Yeah, you know, the Pocahontas, it was really a joy for me to work with people, you know, A. Gorbeck, Michael Gabriel, and Mike Giamo. And I think I had a fantastic relationship working with, with <clears throat> uh, Mike Giamo because yeah. he was my teacher, too, at CalArt. Right, right. You Giamo was that, teacher. yeah. And then I got a chance to work with him closely on Pocahontas and is really stylistically is fantastic artist, fantastic person to work with. Yeah, he's a very and, nice guy too. And we went to Virginia for the reference. Uh, we had a trip to Virginia, Williamsburg yeah. to see the actual place for settlers. The Jamestown settlements. Jamestown, yeah, yeah. and then also the, the Indian reservation, which they believe Pocahontas was from. That yeah. at museums and we talked to some uh, native uh, American chief, uh, you know, for their. And they they had they had a Native American uh, um, uh, consultant uh, on the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in a meeting, and you know, we I think we had a meeting in Virginia over Williamsburg with some uh, Native American chief and. Then we went to lunch with, one, so I was sitting in one of the Native American, and he taught to me, he was really a great guy, very deep guy, and he said, you know, I thought you're Native when I saw you, but as soon as you talk, I know you are not. Because I have <laughs> Well, you do have a little bit of that look, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. So I said, as soon as you speak, I know you are not. Because <laughs> I have a very thick accent. Oh, good God. And that was good because when I went to Virginia, and because, you know, sometimes you like to push layout and do a lot of stuff. And then when we were in the airplane and look at Virginia, Virginia is pretty much flat. Yes. Said, oh my God, where is the waterfall? Where is the mountains? Where is this? And then I think we saw little things here and there that we could take it as an excuse to really push it. Yeah, I think when you go more towards the the western side of Virginia, yeah. uh, you get into the Appalachian Mountains and you yeah, know yeah. that that area. But but uh, you know, again, it's it's about uh, artistic license that you exactly, take, yeah. you know, and you you're creating environments and scenes yeah. that you need for the storytelling. Yeah. You know, that movie, the, as I said, I really, really had fun in that movie. I think yeah. uh, maybe because uh, Mike Giamo was great to work with. Everybody was great to work yeah, with. Yeah, it was a good group of people. Yeah, group of people. And Mike Giamo has really a strong sense of color and style and, you know, with uh, sequence in the end, Savage, Savages, Savages. You know, we created 
you know, two different styles for settlers and for Native American and the yeah. I did the same. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. This side of that I, I I particularly liked the colors of the wind sequence in that oh, movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and I think that was just beautifully, uh, beautifully executed that this sequence with that song. The animation. Um, Yeah, it's really just beautifully done. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you remember hearing the first demo of Colors of the Wind, but I really loved the demo a lot. And yeah. then when I heard the production or you know, the final recorded version of it, I was kind of let down because I really liked the demo so much yeah. more. You know, and that sequence was really tough sequence. Yeah, we did workbook on it like six times. Really? Oh yeah, because the management every time they saw it, they keep changing it, keep changing it, keep changing wow. it. And well, they, they changed. They weren't changing the song, were they? Not the song. The no, but they, the the way, the way it was put the sequence. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Well, I think they went through a lot of reboarding and they reboarded again. And then in the end, they like what you see right now. You know, one, one thing I want to mention, what defined Disney uh, is the simplicity. You know, a lot of other production at the time, they were doing hand-drawn here or there or different countries. They like to do too much details and too much rendering and it's too busy and but that simplicity that Disney does, for example, I learned that looking at Bambi. I mean, you look at Bambi and it's a stage for the character and they put enough details that you know what's going on. I, I would say right than finishing the drawing 100%, they do it 60%. They leave that 40% to audience to complete it in their mind. Yeah, that's what really Disney's about—the simplicity. Yeah, and it's sort of the vignetting of characters. Exactly, you know, and where where you you're you're looking at each shot and you're determining what's the focal point of that. Yeah. You know, is it the exactly. character sitting in the clearing, and then you're kind of softening out off of that so that exactly. the audience yeah. can focus, right? Well, also, when you design the sequence, you do the master shots. You explain what it is. Everybody sees it. And then when you cut the characters, more often I use color card, not to yeah. the character. Right. And that way you read the character better. And audiences already have their brain in their mind that what is the... They, they already know the location. They know where the character yeah, is. So you don't have yeah. to dictate and say every detail is in every, you know, shot. Yeah. So I really believed in simplicity. Yeah. Um. What else do you remember about Pocahontas? Uh, For some reason, I remember all of those vertical trees. Yeah. (laughs) That was a lot of, like very, very vertical. Yeah. We use it, as you said, you know, taking license on it, you know, where the John Smith and Pocahontas, they meet and it's a little bit of romance going on everything is really vertical very dignified and simple and when kokom the kokom yeah the the chief yeah yeah you start to attack thing everything becomes you know more diagonal and everything becomes like knife shapes sharp angles and warmer colors yeah we change everything you know to more dynamic and also with the clouds design 
for every movie, even the clouds I design, I design based on the storytelling of what's happening. You know, yeah. I mean? for example, in the very end to the time they want to execute John Smith, yeah. the clouds are like almost knife, like yeah. a knife, like, you know. Did uh, the characters? Yeah. How how did you feel about the song um, "If I Never Knew Him" being oh, yeah. cut when that was? I wish cut. they didn't because yeah. I personally liked that one, but they thought I, I kind of liked that, but that set up the. I don't know why they cut it, but I wish they didn't. Yeah. Like well, apparently they cut it because they felt they were losing the audience in some test screenings. The kids were getting fidgety and uh, uh, and, yeah, and that's maybe. why they cut it. But 10 years later for the 10th anniversary, they put it back in. Oh, I guess. You know? Yeah. So so it's actually back in the movie. It's not in the. Oh, that's good. It's not in I, the, I, mean, I like the sequence. Yeah, I, so I like the up, sequence. I like the sequence you know, too. Emotional and it's very emotional and shows their, you know, love to each other. Yeah. Love the sequence. Yeah. And, uh, and, and once you were done with Pocahontas, you, you rejoined Ron and John again for Hercules. Yeah. And how Hercules, was that? Hercules was another, again, fun movie. And they asked the master cartoonist from England Gerald, Gerald, Gerald Scarf. Scarf. Yeah, yeah, Gerald Scarf. Yeah. And his style is very sharp, you know, the, you know, mostly the characters, very sharp angler. And then I did some layout. I work very closely with Andy Gaskill, the art director, which is yeah. another fabulous artist. And we sent the layout to to England. So Gerald Scarf sees it, but luckily said, oh, it's fine. I like it. So with no comment on it, he said, it's perfect. So we came with a package and, you know, we went from there. I mean, I love Hercules. I, yeah, no, Hercules has a really great style. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm curious, like, how much, how different was it from Aladdin? Do you feel it was really different? Oh, yeah. Aladdin was mostly uh, curvature. Yeah. Like curves and, you know, form and, you know, defining the form. Aladdin was really angler very sharp edges and, you know, and everything was, for me, layout was, was very straight and, you know, when especially did the lighting. For, because I was also in charge of lighting, mm-hmm. uh, either doing it by hand or charcoals or doing it in Photoshop. I, to me, lighting is a, a lot of importance to convey the emotions. Yeah. And sometimes you can do a flat wall with the right lighting. You can make it really stage for the characters. So the lighting for me was really, really 70% of staging the shot. Yeah. And that, and and I'm imagining you enjoyed doing the lighting. Oh yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Because my background in painting. Yeah. Made, even though I was painting a lot, but I never interfere with colors because my job was to draw and work in black and white. Yeah. But my background helped me to do background, uh, to do the lighting because I remember some of the lighting that I did in black and white and the final painting that the background department, they did and turn it down in black and white. It pretty much was very close. And, and it worked for you. Oh yeah. 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 was a good guide for the background department. Sure. Sure. Yeah. For, so from from Hercules, 
um, you you went on to Fantasia 2000 to work on the Rhapsody in Blue sequence. While no, while we were working on the movie, while you were on Hercules, you were helping. Yeah, while I was working on Hercules, <laughs> and we were very busy actually. Uh, Eric Goldberg called me. Eric Goldberg was the director of that. Right scene. of of Rhapsody in and Blue. So I went there and I thought, you know, he's asking me for suggestion to see who I recommend. And then when I went to his office, he shake hand and said, welcome to my project. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I was very happy that I did that one. And I worked yeah. with uh, his wife, Sue. Sue. Sue Goldberg, yeah. Yeah, he, she was the art director. She was the art director. The, to the lighting and... Oh, that was a very, it was a very... Yeah, it was that a very fun. Layout person, Doug Walker. Yes. In oh. fact, the thing I remember about Doug is isn't there isn't there a shot or a layout in there where Doug is in all of the ironwork around the door? Or something? Yeah, yeah. There, it's like Doug's name is like yeah, Doug's name is everywhere. Yeah, also in the subway when you go, you see a poster on the wall called Azadani's Pizza. <laughs> yeah, and you know the Doug Walker was really, really fantastic. Uh, work. He did fantastic work in that sequence. Yeah, I remember Doug oh, very yeah. well. His, uh, style, his style was perfectly matched with the sequence. Yeah, and and, and again, that that particular sequence uh, was queuing off of Al Hirschfeld again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very Goldberg. Yeah, and because of the New York, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I would say uh, Doug Walker's work, uh, he was very, really helped the sequence a lot. Yeah. He, he used his work mainly. Yeah. And uh, and after Rhapsody in Blue, you went on to Emperor's New Groove. After the Hercules, yeah, we finished. Uh, after I Hercules. We finished the Rhapsody and then I finished Hercules after that because Hercules okay. was longer. And then. Uh, we went, yeah, to, after that, yeah, we worked on first Kingdom of the Sun. Which to me, you know, I had Roger Allers on the show uh, yeah. last year and yeah. we talked, uh, I think, a lot about um, you know, Kingdom the of the Sun because yeah. I remember seeing a lot of the artwork in the hallways and I was blown away by it was amazing it, it was know? absolutely amazing and we had a great art director from uh, england what is his name god simpson colin simpson colin, colin? simpson yeah oh it's yeah. so amazing and really fantastic painter and great yeah. great uh, art director and we work on the project because what happened i was working on treasure planet you know yeah I went from Hercules to Treasure Planet, but while I was working on Treasure Planet, something didn't work in Kingdom of the Sun, and they asked me to go do that one first. Right. Which neither asked me, because they had a head of layout, and unfortunately, something didn't work out. So yeah. they asked me to go, and I said, okay, uh, for one year to roll the movie and then go back to Treasure Planet. So... They started working on Kingdom of the Sun almost a year of a lot yeah, of success yeah. was done in animation and color. And then the company decided to can the project. And then the new groove came in. So I did a couple of sequences in New Groove as a supervisor and then left for Treasure Planet. Oh, uh, wow. 
So really, Treasure Planet was the next big one. You were just kind of helping out on Emperor's New Groove. It's supposed to be a big one for me because, but they changed. They, yeah, they changed. yeah. I, I mean, when it was when it was Empire of the Sun, but I was almost going to finish yeah. the King of the Sun Wait, and go to Kingdom of the Sun. Excuse me, I, I called yeah. it Empire of the Sun. That's a different movie. <laughs> Kingdom of the Sun. Yeah, I, yeah. I really wish they had made Kingdom of the Sun because it was such a beautiful. I, I mean, loved it. I mean, the I mean, artwork was just stunning. Yeah, I wish they work on it and they could, you know, do some changes on it rather than canon, yeah. you know. But they they just didn't feel the story was there. Yeah. I mean, uh, which is too bad. Yeah, too bad. T- tell me about Treasure Planet. Okay, Treasure Planet is uh, when we started working with them, we were watching all this treasure, what they call it, islands. Oh, oh yeah, all the Treasure Island films. Yeah, right? all of it and they make all of it and then, but the things that Treasure Planet was happening in, you know, other environment. And yeah. We built a lot of the sequence in, in Maya. Cause yeah. I started building stuff in Maya, not me, my team that work on the computer. They did the environment because it was easier to move around and make a print and then work on top of it. Yeah. Treasure Planet, I mean, you have to do a lot of things in computer, like the big boat and things. You couldn't yeah. do it with hand. And, and just so, so our listeners, uh, when you say Maya, Maya is a software package that's kind of an industry standard, uh, yeah. I guess, uh, for doing computer animation. Yeah. So so you were, you were starting to do more um uh moving the camera much we and, built and, and, and built, building environments oh yeah we built yeah. almost 80 percent of the environment in maya yeah and in some sequences we did everything in 3d first yeah and then we translated into 2d yeah yeah because it was impossible to and, and really and that's also that, the lighting on that was was interesting because they did flat paint on the yeah. boat and they did digital lighting on the Right. And, and and I think that Treasure Planet was a transitional movie at Disney. You know, it, it was they were doing so much in the way of computer animation. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in front and behind the camera, so to speak, uh, uh, that at some point they were sort of moving in the direction of of saying, OK, we're going to eventually do an all CG movie. Yeah. Actually, what I had uh, on Fridays like around three o'clock, I had my whole department go to the Maya class yeah. to learn about 3D because I, we knew we need to know more about. You needed to keep up on the technology. And and the, yeah, the, most the, of the my change. team, they ended up to work on the next uh, CG movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of the layout department. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think Treasure Planet, it's a good movie. I mean, I, 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 mean, I like I think, it. Layout-wise, I think is my best movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the film. I think it was beautifully crafted, uh, and I think that it's it's one of the it's one of the films that just through the circumstances going on at the studio, it, it just wasn't supported. Uh, no, it wasn't. I think the yeah. politics of the day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael Eisner and Roy Disney were were having a feud at that point. Yeah, and, and I think that the movie was purposely tanked. 
Yeah, it was a bad marriage between them, and yeah. Treasure Planet was the poor child being torn apart between. Yeah, them. yeah, it, it, you know they they didn't really market it very well. No, and when it when it opened soft that following Monday, Michael Eisner made a big announcement that they were writing off all this money, and that's like a death yeah. blow to. They the didn't movie. even give it a chance. Yeah, they, they did. did when that when the movie came on DVD. Yeah. The day before it, they said something negative about it. The, yeah, it's the president of the, at the time said yeah. something that they shouldn't. You should support your movie, not yeah, putting it down. Yeah, exactly. And and I really would encourage people who are listening if you haven't seen Treasure Planet, you really should watch it because yeah. it's a it's a really good film. It looks uh, amazing. I mean, yeah, it it really is a good film, and it's it's one of the underrated. Um, yeah. features and, from from and, the Renaissance of Disney animation. Exactly, and In Gooding was the art director on it, which is is fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely amazing. Now, did you work on the Simpsons movie? Yeah, what tell, happened? Tell me what happened here. Of the Treasure Planet, because you know, as you mentioned, it was the uh, the politics of the time. Yeah. You didn't work. A lot of people got laid off. A lot of salary was cut, and a lot of so I, in a way, I quit. Okay. Right, and being let go, I said, you know, I was not happy with the situation, so I left on my own. Okay. And then, I was planning to go back to my country, actually, to Iran, and then. Were you Were you going to move back? Yeah, yeah. I was oh, really? And then, it was funny. They had a fire in Glendale at the time in the hills and my wife called Eric Gorbeck to see how they doing and Eric said so how's Rasul I said oh we're thinking to go back I said why you shouldn't and then I think he talked to his friend like David Silverman yeah they worked on Simpson he was the main director on it yeah and then they suggested because they are going from the TV animation to big you know yeah yeah, the theatrical movie of the cinematic and yeah. So they asked me, and at the time I didn't really know anything about Simpson because you know we are busy this work at this every day. Sure. We didn't have time to time to watch movies. So I was even asking my kids about the characters. Called Simpson. And anyway, so I went there and uh, they asked me if I work on it, and because I didn't didn't know anything about it. So I said no, but the producer at the time. Uh, ask me if I stay two weeks and, you know, work with the layout people and teach them how Disney. So I did some sketches and then he come to me and say, oh, we really want to want you to work on it. So then I started liking the people. There's a lot of amazing talent in the Simpsons. Sure, sure. A lot of great artists. Oh, and, and it's a great property. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, and it's funny. Really, it's funny. Really it's great. funny as hell. Yeah, and there are so many great artists working yeah. on uh, I started uh, working on it and I was very happy to finish the movie. And in the end of it, they asked me to go back to Disney again. So while I was and, working. And, yeah. And so you went back for Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you were Leia's supervisor on Princess yeah, and the Frog. Yeah, supervisor on that one. And, and uh, how'd you like That's that? That's the movie, movie that John Lasseter asked because he was the big guy. And he said, I really want to see animatic yeah. animation. So yeah. for us, it was very new because we have to shoot everything. And 
see the whole sequence. Right. So that was that was obviously the big movie after Disney purchased Pixar. Exactly. And and folded in uh, Ed Catmull and John Lasseter yeah, yeah. and all those folks. Yeah. Exactly. At first, I was against it because of time wise. Yeah. But then we have to do it because John asked us, we have to do it. So, right. right. Did, and I was so happy. I said, oh, God, this is the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was the best things to do. And, and you, you, you stayed on, you finished Princess and the Frog. You did that yeah. film. And, uh, uh, and then you went on to the Winnie the Pooh movie. Yeah, they wanted to do that one, and they said, oh, the reason we're doing it because we're going to introduce the character so public can see it, because they said, oh, first is Mickey Mouse, then it's Winnie the Pooh. I said, great. So, and they said, can we go to England to see how uh, the real place is? And yeah, the, 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 real hundred acre, the, the real Hundred Acre Woods. Yeah. Because the first of Winnie the Pooh looks great, but you know everything. The scale is off, basically. Is that yeah. oak tree is like three feet high? So we went to the Ashland Forest in England, and I mean, you really see the gigantic stuff. And we went to the museum. We saw the main illustration, illustrator works. What's his name? Uh, Shepherd. Shepherd. We saw yeah. his work in the museum. We had access to his work, and we came with that looks, and we start to be more faithful to the real environment. Yeah. And, you know, this is another movie, the Winnie the Pooh movie from 2011, which I kind of feel like um, it, it was, it was mismarketed. Yeah. Uh, also it came against Avatar, I believe. Yeah. I mean, and it opened against Avatar, but still it was mismarketed because yeah. of the title, Winnie the Pooh. Everybody yeah. thought it was an old movie. Exactly. You know, people thought it was a re-release. Yeah, I just saw it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was just like, what were they thinking? You know, I, I, I didn't get it. I was very, I was very disappointed. Uh, yeah, that, that the movie didn't do better. And again, I kind of feel like it was because it was a two D movie, and they didn't really want to support two D movies. They wanted yeah. to make uh, computers, CG. Exactly, movies. exactly. Yeah. For me, it was the chance to show that the new generation can do. As you know, same as work as old generation. So yeah. that was a good uh, reference for us to say, okay, let's do uh, at least we do as good as the old Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, we yeah. try our best to you know come with a good. Reference. I mean, I thought the animation was terrific. I thought yeah. the look of the film was terrific. I thought the story was great. You yeah. know, it, it was a very it was a very yeah. sweet movie that they just yeah. didn't support and didn't market very well. No, it wasn't. You know. Unfortunately, but the movie yeah. looks great. So, yeah, really great. What What did you go on to after that? I because I see here after that you were on hiatus. I I think I worked with you. I believe you probably did on something. With I don't know. Had to look at the king. Oh yeah, you did. Yes, you forgot about that. I'm not. I'm not so even. You were the, se- you wait were the a on it. Hold, hold on a second. I'm not even seeing that on your your filmography. You need to my, correct my that. My daughter looked at it today. <laughs> said maybe it's there. I don't know. The, the the cat that looked at the king was a short film that I half got an hour to. Wasn't yeah, that I, short. It was half an hour. Yeah. yeah, well, it was a short though. I mean, it was, yeah, it was twenty, 20 something minutes long, but it was it was a, a film I got to direct for the fortieth anniversary yeah, of yeah. Mary Poppins uh, for for the the and Julia uh, Andrews was in it too. 
<laughs> yeah, the DV, uh, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. Uh, oh, and, I got, and I got to work with them. And Everything. Peter Schneider directed the yeah, live action. And, and Russell, you were, uh, you did layout on it. And uh, also the production design. I yeah, think. and and also uh, Christy Maltese worked on it as art as director. Art director. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and, uh, uh, you know that I think event was short, but still was long. And I think I was the only one on it to do layout and design. So I asked for one couple of persons. So you guys gave me a person to help the layout. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We did. Yeah. And, and you know something. And Baker Blood, Bloodworth was the producer on it, I believe. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun, fun working on, with you guys. I had a lot of fun on that little project. Yeah, I had fun. I had fun. Yeah. Did you, you come, know, on, did you come to the soundstage when we were filming? Uh, unfortunately, the, I think I was in Iran at the time. Or ah, okay. Because we we filmed uh, on a soundstage in Hollywood, and we managed to find the original scenic for uh, the Cherry Tree Lane uh, park entrance. Oh, my so, God. So we had the original scenic that, by the way, Disney was going to throw out, but a scenic shop in Hollywood said, we'll come and cart it away for you. Oh. And, and so the studio rented it back for oh, this production, crazy. but we recreated the Cherry Tree Lane, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, park entrance where where Bert does the chalk drawings. Yeah, that, that movie also was a lot of fun for me because I, if you remember, I built it in Maya and I yes. shots and I showed it as a continuity. Yeah. Then you okayed it, and then we went from there. And of course, I was going to okay it. It's you, Russell. Thank you. <laughs> you, were great. you were great. No, we 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 had a lot of fun together because we had a really good group of artists working yeah, together, yeah. and it was just it was just a joy. Yeah, it was know? great. Yeah, yeah. I, and from I, there, I think I went to Paperman. Yeah, Paperman was. I really liked Paperman. Yeah, I worked I, on it a very short time. Three, yeah, but three. it's it, it's a beautiful short. And if people haven't seen it, they should really try I, I check it out. I'm sure you could probably find it on YouTube or uh, on Disney Plus, maybe. I don't know. It's what do you plus. think? Yeah, yeah. It's on Plus. It, it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Paper Man is such a beautiful short, and they had developed some really nice uh, uh, look for it. Yeah, you know? with the combination uh, of computer animation and yeah, and, yeah, and uh, I I thought that was just an absolutely stunning short. Yeah, and they never really did anything with some of that technology. They never seemed to pursue it. And now, with the films coming out today, you're seeing a lot of that. Exactly. Kind of, you know, like I just saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the new one, and it the look of it is spectacular. Yeah, you know, and and even though it's a CG film, it feels hand drawn. Yeah, it, yeah, it feels like hand Spider done. Verse, same and, thing. And Spider Verse is the same thing. Yeah, it, same technology. It, yeah, it's it's just fantastic. I wish we did use it more for some. Yeah, reason. I think they should have applied it more. They yeah. were on to something there, and they kind of just dropped it, you know. And I yeah, thought that that it. was just you know too Disney. Bad. Uh, you know, again, I whatever. Artistically, I have a lot from Disney. I learn a lot from Disney. Yeah. And I have a good feeling about Disney. But Disney have a tendency to do things and they drop it. Yeah. You know, on like, For example, on the Great Mouse Detective, remember that clock sequence? Yes. That CG? Yes. Said, wow, look at that. And then we dropped it. 
Yeah. And we had a lot of stuff and we dropped it. And then Pixar came, said, okay, here it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. now other companies are coming out and saying, here it is with the look of exactly. these films. Yeah. And and these films are, are, I mean, they have their own look to them. And they're amazing. Uh, the storytelling yeah. wise, I mean, yeah. the words, I mean, it's amazing. I you mean, know, I'll yeah. tell you, uh, if you haven't seen it, go see uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, I mean. Because not only is it beautiful uh, is it to look at. theater right now? It's in the theaters. But not only is it beautiful to look at, cine- the cinematography, the camera moving, it's, it, it's done almost like a live action film, but okay. in a really good way. It, it, it's They're utilizing the moving camera where they need to. You know, and they've got a great story and a great script, you know, and 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 the movie moves along and it has this beautiful visual style. Um, I will definitely go see it. Yeah, Yeah. you should check it out. Be curious to hear what you think about it. You know, did you work on Mickey's Floor Her Magic? You know, the show they did for Disneyland. I did. I did a little bit of work on Mickey's Floor Her Magic. I worked on the section for the, I think the. Big Band Clock with yeah, yeah I did I did yeah. one sequence that, that, that was George Scribner he was the director yeah he was the director yeah, so yeah, I did yeah. the sequence for yeah George Scribner and I think Handel Butoy was on it was it yeah it? I think you're right I think Handel may have been working on it as well yeah 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 yeah. But, um, you know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time because we kind of covered your career and you Perfect. didn't really you didn't work on Moana. No, I didn't. You didn't, but it's I mean, they, they gave me credit on that thing. That's by mistake. Yeah, yeah okay. They gave they, they gave it to you, but anyway. But I, where I really want, I wish I did, but I did. But I re- I really want to talk about. I want to spend a little bit of time talking with you about your watercolor painting because after Paper Man, you kind of left. Yeah, I I lived on my own because yeah. I thought, you know, the. Things was changing at Disney and all the room from the 2D animation changing to the comp- one computer. And also I saw this, uh, a lot of amazing young people that were really, really talented. Yeah. And like most of them are early 20s and I would never catch up with them in their technology. Yeah. So I thought, you know, for me, it's time to go. I mean... Good. I don't want to do computer animation. I'm not good at it. I don't want to learn it. And I want to really paint. So, and you know, one thing in your life that you want to find yourself. And I told myself, what is that one thing? I said, okay, what I did when I was, you know, young kids, I was doing watercolor. I went to art school for it. So I said, I'm going to go back to it because I want to be more known about my own work. Yes. So that's why I decided to go. And and as a result, I left 12 years ago. I left Disney on my own. And I'm working more right now. I'm draw more. I I think I think it was a good decision to really work yeah. on my you, own. You know something? You 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 did it on your own terms. Yeah. And that and and you have to feel good about that. And I will I will tell our listeners, and I mentioned this at the head of I think last week's show, your watercolors are absolutely spectacular. Thank and the, you so thing, much. the thing that I love about your watercolors, they look effortless. 
They, they, and I know they're not, but, but they, they have this quality where you can lay down a brush stroke and give, yeah. and give the impression of something. First of you, all, I work on location. Yeah. Yeah. That's maybe mainly. And also my background in Disney and, you know, some of the knowledge of, you know, my learning from Disney come to that and, you know, well, it's the design and the composition, yeah, and the, the knowledge of exactly. cinematography and staging and all of that. So yeah, you that really all know, helps. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, I, you're, I was going to say you're almost putting that in. It's almost subconscious. It's so ingrained in your your artistic abilities, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I believe before you paint, I believe that I should see the painting on my paper at least fifty percent of it way ahead of time. So I have to see it. Before when it starts. See it in your mind's eye. Exactly. And I yeah. painted in my head first. Yeah. By looking at it. And then design-wise, as you mentioned, you know, the first line I put on the paper, you know, you have to really think about the design and composition and the staging and why you're even painting that. And then, and the key is to simplicity. I use big brushes because even at Disney, I didn't do rendering. I was always working with charcoal or chalk or pastel. Yeah. And, or the most, my pencil was those Chinese marker. Yeah. So I was really trying to always, and same thing with watercolor. I use big brushes and I, I mean, I attacked the watercolor when I do it. I don't let the watercolor scares me. I'm going to scare the paper. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this because I, I've dabbled in watercolors. And, and and when I look at your work, I, I generally give up and I don't touch it for a while. I'm sure you can do be, it be, because you're so good. But I'm, but I'm the, sure you can do it, too. I, I, but but that's what I'm getting at. It, watercolor is a difficult medium to, to yeah. work with. And it, and it takes a lot of practice to be able to um, uh, create a, a painting that you're happy with. And, and I'm just curious, like, how long did it take for you uh, uh, when you started painting in watercolors to really sort of master it? Because when I was, as I mentioned, I was 13 years old. I went to art school. Right yeah. in high school, I went to art school. I had diploma in art. And we painted with all the mediums. But I chose to like watercolor better because it was more lean with my personality because I'm very impatient and I have to really decide fast and really go for it. So I start going with bicycle or, you know, motorcycle, going around the town and sit in a real location and paint it. And I learned the best thing that you can do, watercolor is painting from location, not from pictures. Okay. Or memory, even memory is even better from because picture is flat. And then, you know, write materials and, isn't a lot of knowledge to you have to know anatomy, perspective, design, compositions, and and then you come to the brush strokes and colors. And everything is really based on contrast. Because when you use brush strokes, it's like big brush against small brush, big strokes against small, like soft edges against you know, hard edge, you know, uh, wet in wet, dry brush. Yeah. And this is all techniques and yeah. uh, definitely to now, win the, the, do you, the right material too. Do, yeah. Well, talking about materials, do you, uh, do you use watercolor paints out of tubes or do you use the cakes? I usually work out of tubes. 
Uh-huh. But in paper and brush, I mean, believe me, I spent so much, so much time and money on my material because I have to find a material that works for me. Yeah. Because, you know, paper-wise, I use pretty much every paper that they made in around the world. Brush-wise, I use every brushes that you can see. And I ended up to like Chinese brush and, you know, some, you know, English brush. So I really use a lot of different materials to see which one works with my characters. And even though I'm doing watercolor my whole life, when I start doing watercolor, I don't know what is going to come there. So I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. It's like that. It's, a lot of it is an accident. They said a good watercolor, a good watercolorist is the one make good accident. A good <laughs> watercolor is an accident because a lot of it, it really happened by itself. You know, the water, the way it dries, it depends on the day of time. The, you know, how hot the day is, how fast you work, how all of it depends and how much water you pick in the brush, how much pigment you put, how absorbent is the paper. So it's not really easy to say, okay, let's do it that way. You really have to know your materials because with oil, you can change it, do it again, change it, do it again. With watercolor, you have to do it one time. And yeah. if you keep it one time and less brush strokes, rather than doing five brush strokes, you do one. It's better, you know, yeah. faster. But you, you think, you work fast, but you think slow. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, or the other way around, you can really think fast and work slower. I don't know. But you have to really know what you're doing before you're going to start painting. Because you have no time to think because things going to dry. Yeah. So you have to really, really know what you're doing ahead of time. So let me ask you, when, when you're doing watercolors on location, are you working fast or are you do you vary the speed of, like if you want to do a more detailed watercolor painting, do you spend a little more time on it? If it's a larger painting, do you slow yourself down or do you just like to work fast? Uh I was the same in layout. I work fast. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's part of my character. I think most of my painting is less than half an hour. I mean, between 15 minutes to 25 minutes or 20 minutes. Is really? Fast. Yeah. And and, it, and, ha- and how big do you work usually? Uh, I mean, I work like... I see one on the easel back there behind yeah, you. That's like half sheet. You know? Yeah. I mean, they're like... I have here. I mean, do do you like working larger? Yeah, I mean, this is pretty much the size, you know. Actually. Yeah. And but what I do, even the smallest sketches or big things, when I take a picture, uh, you pretty much you're not gonna notice the size. It's the same. Okay. The small paper, I use a small brush. For big paper, I use big brush. But my strokes is exactly the same. If I take yeah. a picture. You cannot notice the size, how yeah. big it is. Unless uh, I uh, can I ask you, have you have you done a watercolor show anywhere? Oh yeah, I pretty much going around the world uh, and 
basically do. But are you doing a gallery a gallery show or anything? I did it here before. I don't know if you remember in Disney. Remember we had uh, shows in the. Yeah, I mean, I I remember years ago I sold when everything. Yeah, no, but I remember I remember years ago when they would have artists do a show and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yes, I always I would always go look at everybody's artwork yeah. and I you know I certainly saw yours. But I mean, now that you're out of Disney, have you ever thought about? Uh, doing a gallery, like an art gallery show. I, you or... know, because of the things is on nowadays, you know, the internet, you know, Facebook and yeah. Instagram. I sell a lot of stuff through that. And also I have participating with shows because I go to different countries and painting with different artists. So yeah. we have a show with them. And ah, okay. So, you are, so you're doing shows. Yeah, yeah. Here so I'm when you back. when you post a, a a painting on uh on social media, does somebody contact you and say I want to buy that? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the, because we worked and I'm kind of retired and yeah, we've gone to retirement. So I'm basically more interested going places and doing it right than yeah, not really active on you know trying to sell or anything like that. I just love doing it and you know. But I, and I'm thinking about maybe doing books and maybe workshops and things like you that. You should but, do a book. You yeah, but I'm, book. we are busy just going. It's more fun to go around and paint. To you, should do a, you should do a book. I'll, I'll send you the book I did on George uh, George Scribner's Panama Canal paintings. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a copy. Right. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah, that way yeah. I can look at the format. and. Yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, I have I, the materials to do a book. Actually, I have so many. Oh, I, I, I mean, you, you have to have hundreds of thousands, paintings, thousands. thousands. Okay, thousands. I, I only post few of them. I don't post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I for one love uh, your your paintings, and I, I would Thank encourage you. our listeners to follow you on on your social media uh, on, on Facebook because uh, you get you get to see some incredible incredible paintings and uh i I, i'll say rasul uh what a pleasure it has been talking with you these past same here uh, thanks for having me weeks you know and and you're you're off you're off in a a a couple of weeks you're you're heading out to uh travel around europe painting yeah yeah the whole trip is like a month fantastic 10 days of it would be in europe and the rest of it would be in iran nice very well, I'm nice. I'm hoping that I come with a lot of painting. Are you going to visit visit family in, in Iran? Oh, yeah. Visit the family. Yeah. First I go to Iran, then I go to Europe, and then go back to Iran and then come to the United States. Nice. Well, one of these days when the politics all simmer down, it's one place I'd like to go visit. Oh yeah, especially if you're it. especially if you're there because I always yeah, we like go to, together. We go together. I, I, I I would always like to go to a country like that with somebody who's a yeah, local. You're gonna love it, especially yeah. my city Esfahan is yeah. really it's like walking like in museum, the whole city. Wow, awesome! All right, Rasul. Rasul Azadani, a master a layout artist and master watercolorist. It was a pleasure having you on the Skull Rock Podcast. Thank you so much. Become a supporter of Skull Rock Podcast with small monthly donations to help sustain future episodes for just 99 cents a month. You can do that just like Lindsay and Joshua. Thank you so much for your support of our show. Be sure to click our link to support the show at skullrockpodcast.com forward slash support. 
Hi, this is Tony Baxter, and it's great to be a part today of the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney galaxy. Whoa! Oh, wow, you flew magnificently. Man, what an infectious uh, personality. So fun. Razul Azadani, part two. And... Uh, Gosh, I, we're just touching the iceberg here with Razzle. Uh, You know, we really are. Uh, he, he's he's such a terrific talent. And again, I, I I just can't gush enough about his watercolor painting. He is off the charts, a master watercolorist. I mean, just stunning. Uh, get a chance, go online and, and look up some of those images. You'll be blown away. One of the nicest human beings around, Razul Azadani. Please seek him out. He's on Facebook, and I know his art is out there. So we'll we'll put links in the show notes so you can check it out as well. Well, gang, thank you once again for checking out the show till the very end. We do appreciate it. If you love Disney and pop culture, please consider subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere. We're on Amazon, and we're on Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Sorcerer Radio Network, srsounds.com, and so much more. Please check it out. Uh, we love you for it. Give us those five-star reviews as well. Every little bit helps. And follow us on social media as well. We're on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, check out the show archive. It's super helpful. And I will also say, not only can you send us email at Dave or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com, but I would love to hear your voicemails uh, and our IDs. Hey, say... You know, hey, I'm Al John from Nashville, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast, and we'll play it on an upcoming episode, and we'll surprise you in the middle of the show. So uh, leave us those voicemails. I'd love to hear it. And uh, don't forget to check out uh, this little plug for my other podcast, Dining at Disney, twice a week, uh, everywhere podcasts are heard. Dave? Well, I, I've got a bunch of stuff to tell you, so don't even play the music <laughs> oh. on me because it's just going to run out. Oh, it's okay. Uh, I, I do want to let everybody know that last Friday I was live on a show called Bookish Talk, uh, and I was talking not only about my books, but also about the Safety Smart um, uh, DV, you know, the Safety Smart films that I had done while I was at Disney. Uh, those came up, so I was talking about that. You can watch this. It's it, you know, it was live on Friday morning, but it was recorded as well, and it's on YouTube, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, uh, Android TV, Apple TV. You can you can find it there and download that episode if you want to watch it. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, I also want to tell you all uh, that I will be uh, doing a pop-up bookstore at the Retro House of the Future Suite at the Howard Johnson's next to Disneyland in Anaheim. And I'm doing that on Saturday the 25th, which is Small Business Saturday. Uh, I'm doing that, uh, so it's a Saturday right after Thanksgiving, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, from 12 to 5. 
So you, there's going to be books available. You can stop by and you can actually take a, a quick tour of the Retro House of the Future Suite, which is also featured in my House of the Future book. Uh, so check that out. That's going to be on Saturday, November 25th from 12 to 5 at the Howard Johnson's in Anaheim. And then I also want to let you know, and I know we'll, we'll talk about this a couple more times leading up to it, but I will be doing, I'll be part of a group book signing with the likes of Don Hahn and some of our other friends. Floyd Norman's going to be there. I'm going to be at Walt's Barn on Sunday, December 17th. Walt's Barn, uh, December 17th, uh, right at Griffith Park in Los Angeles. Uh, if you haven't been there, you're going to have a great time. Come out. Um, there's going to be a ton of people signing books. I think they're going to have like four or five or six uh, authors. And I'm going to have a ton of my books there. So, you know, December 17th, you get an author signed copy of not only my book, but you get Don's book. You can get Floyd Norman's book and, and other authors that are going to be there. So if you want to do a little Christmas shopping and buy some uh, some author signed copies for those special people in your lives, come out uh, to Walt's Barn on Sunday, December 17th. And uh, there's, I'm going to talk about more stuff next week. I mean, it's just so, there's just so much going on, Al John. Plug, it's crazy. Plug, 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 plug. I know, <laughs> but uh, it's all good stuff. And uh, with that, I'll say go out, have a fantastic week. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And uh, we will see you back here next Monday, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. <laughs>